Many of you may have had the displeasure to experience this this week, or maybe you inflicted this on one of your loved ones, right? This is the time of year, people visit family, and inevitably somebody gets stuck with the rollout couch, uh, the, the sofa couch, whatever you call it. These things are notoriously uncomfortable. If you did get forced to deal with this this week, you probably have a pain somewhere in the middle of your back. Uh, it, it's shocking to me that we can engineer how to get a man to the moon, but engineering one of these so that it doesn't hurt you is still impossible, apparently. Uh, we just cannot figure this out. They're just never, ever comfortable. And there are families all over America this week that have experienced the pull-out couch because they have house guests over. It is the time of year where you have family. And it's the time of year where you probably have heard at one point or the other someone say this classic line that house guests are something like fish. They're, pretty, they're, they're good for three days and then they start to stink. Uh, it's just a thing that we all kind of experience. Don't pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about. If you spend extended time with family you don't usually see, after three or four days, inevitably someone's going to get in an argument with somebody else about something. And I think there's a lot of reasons for why it's hard to, to invite people in and to be a good host. I think some of it is uh, it just messes with the structure of your life. In the Borcher's house, we have bedtimes. And, you know, we're not super strict about bedtime, but bedtime is important for parents' sanity and child's sanity. And grandparents just seem to think bedtime is totally insignificant. And then on day three, they go, I don't know why she's fussing. She's usually much better behaved than this because she usually goes to bed on time. That's why she's much better behaved than this, right? And it just messes with our routines. Probably I am not the only one who has had a sugar cookie for breakfast at some point this week, right? Because around this time of year, like our days and our nights and what's Monday and what's Friday, um, you know, just it all gets extended out. Some of us get extra time off work or we take extra time off work and life gets nutsy and then you get really frustrated because your schedule is all off and now these weird people are in my house who are wanting to do all these things that mess up my structures. Some of us regress into who we were or what we've done when we were younger, right? Uh, maybe you feel like your little sibling reverts into their little sibling self every time you get together as a family, right? They are now 45 years old and a functioning adult, but they suddenly become 10 when you get together as a family because everybody falls back into your roles. Maybe you have a parent that feels the need to be very patronizing, which is appropriate, right, in a way, but they, they go, well, you really should, and you're like, I'm 40 now. I can handle this, right? Like, I don't need you to tell me how to live. And so we just, we get on each other's nerves. We all know the joy of having family near the holidays, and we also know the frustrations of dealing with your family when they're around for the holidays. Hospitality is just hard. Welcoming somebody else into your home and into your life and offering them uh, try to make them comfortable, make them feel like they belong, make them feel like they're not um, infringing on your life, when the reality is they're infringing on your life, right? It's very difficult. And I want to spend a little time this morning talking about the idea of hospitality. Because hospitality is something that tests 
our ability to show love to other people. <coughs> if you've been at the feast for any period of time, uh, you probably know that this time of year uh, is Caleb's going to do something random in sermon time, right? We just finished kind of this holiday season and we did some more sort of Christmas-themed sermons. There'll probably be a spring sermon series right around the corner. And so I get a couple weeks where I like to just do something bizarre, as is um, my personal preference. I love going into Bible passages that we don't hear often. And so today we're going to spend time in a passage uh, I think you probably haven't heard many sermons on. And we're going to spend a little bit of time in the book of 3 John. We're going to read the entire book of 3 John. Don't start sweating too profusely. It is a very short book. We can read it very easily at the same time that we would usually do our sermons. But it's a, it's a book that is um, traditionally believed to be written by John the Apostle, the one whom Jesus loves, the author of the book of John, as well as Revelation and First and Second and Third John. Uh, Modern scholars will fuss about whether that's really this John or a different John or a guy named John the Elder. Uh, It doesn't really matter. The point of the book is that this is an entire book about the beauty and the importance of hospitality and being hospitable to other people. And it's very interesting in that way. And so we're going to spend a little time with that this morning. Uh, Third John. uh, Sorry, Preston. 3 John verses 1 and 2. This is one of those great books where there's no chapters, there's only verses. So if it looks funny in the scripture reference, that's why. 3 John 1. The elder, to my friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth. Tell telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in that you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people, so that we may work together for the truth. Hospitality is something that um, it's kind of been, uh, we don't understand the, the, the importance of it in the first century a little bit. Uh, for us, hospitality is kind of like Martha Stewart or Food Network, right? We like imagine like, uh, we were talking this last week about Who's the lady that lives on the Hamptons? I know. What's her name on Food Network? She has... Ida Garten? Yeah. Yeah. She has like the really beautiful, lovely, really expensive home that none of us could afford, right? And she always has people over for tea or for, you know, like finger sandwiches or some kind of really interesting thing that none of us actually eat. And, but it's always cute, right? It's always very Pinteresty, and it's got like all the perfect decorations. And she talks in a really hushed tone, like the NPR voice. You know, today we're going to make some nice crab salad sandwiches. And it's just going to be lovely to have my friends over for a nice spot of tea. And you're like, who are you? You're not a real person, right? And so we kind of, when we hear hospitality, we kind of think of that. Um, or if you have someone who says they work in the hospitality interest, I- industry, it probably means that they're a waitress or that they work at a hotel. Because we've used that word now to refer to sort of the dining and restaurant industry. But hospitality for ancient people 
was really, really important. The ancient world uh, did have hotels, but the line between hotel and brothel was often a little less distinct than we prefer it to be, right? We like to know before we walk into a place which of the two we're going to be at. And in the ancient world, this just wasn't as common. Hotels, you know, there would be inns, but they would be places where, you know, um, people that were on work, some, you know, people that were kind of doing some nefarious things would hang out, right? We know this from, uh, it's a little bit earlier in history, but the story of Jericho, right? When the spies go into Jericho, the spies immediately know where to find a hotel and a madam, right? They're at the same place because this is kind of the way the ancient world worked. Hotels were often places for gentlemen to visit. And so there's just no Holiday Inn is what I'm saying, okay? If you wanted to go see family, if you wanted to go visit a different part of the world, there was no place with a continental breakfast and a swimming pool. And it was hard to find a place to stay. And so often you had to rely on some kind of social or organizational or familial network to stay somewhere. If you wanted to travel, you had to stay with friends. And so for the ancient Christian workers, for ancient missionaries, for first century people that wanted to go into the world and tell people about Jesus, the only way they could do it is by having Christians that would take them into their homes. Or sometimes uh, what the Bible talks about is people of peace, people who maybe weren't Christians, but were still friendly and open and willing to welcome people into their houses. And this is even more significantly important when you think about the context Paul often talks about taking a collection of money that he then is going to then take and help people who are dealing with a disaster. He takes very famously a collection from the Greek people and then goes back to Jerusalem to give the Hebrew church funds as they deal with the famine. Um, They're not wiring that money. Paul does not collect that money, go over to his local Bank of America and deposit it and then withdraw it from an ATM in Jerusalem. Paul is carrying it on his person. So even if he tried to camp out, there's always the fear that in the middle of the night, a bandit might come along and rob you and steal all this money that God's people have given towards someone who needs help. And so again, a house is a little more security, a little more safety. Also, 3 John is one of the last books written in the New Testament. And so by this time, the Roman government is starting to um, oppress Christians, is starting to... um, And again, there's debate in this in the scholarly world, somewhere between harass them and arrest them and kill them. And so you can't exactly just be like hanging out in the middle of the streets, sleeping in the street square when a centurion comes by and goes, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm a Christian missionary from far away here to convince you all to give up your gods. That is a good way to get yourself in jail, right? So you want to have a good place to stay. And so in all of these ways, John says, You, um, my friend Gaius, are doing great work because you are keeping people in your home. The world at large, the pagans as he calls them. Not the friendliest way for us to talk about our non-Christian neighbors, but nonetheless the word he uses. He says the pagans are not going to help these people out. They're not going to be kind to them. They're not going to give them a place to stay. They're not going to protect them. And so you need to do it. Because the way that God's work is going to get done is by God's people being hospitable to others. And he makes it very clear, even if that means strangers. 
In the first century church, there were times where a guy would walk up and he goes, Hi, I'm friends with the Apostle John. I'm here on a mission trip. He said that you were a Christian. Can I stay at your place tonight? And the early church would go, Yeah, sure. Pull out the pull-out couch, right? You know, like this is, uh, for us, seems crazy like to have a strange person in your home. But that's the sort of hospitality that the church offered because if the church didn't do it, then nobody was going to do it. Um, I think it's really important to see that for John, if you do a, a theology of the Johannine letters, which is just a fancy way to say letters that John wrote, John is always talking about love and how love works its way out, what it looks like practically to love somebody. And John has a very clear uh, sort of logical flow to his books. He says, if you love God, you're going to love other people. He says, if you want to be a righteous person, you're going to love. And if you're going to love people, you're going to do something for them. He makes very clear that spiritual righteousness and doctrinal correctness without love is meaningless. And furthermore, saying, hey, I love you, but then not taking care of the needs of your brother and sister is also meaningless. And so hospitality for John is the ultimate um, point of, of proving. It is the ultimate way to know if someone is serious about their faith. If they really want to be right with God, they're going to love people. And if they love people, they're going to do things for people. And there is no better example of what you can do to express the love that shows that you are righteous than by welcoming someone into your home and caring for them. And so it's appropriate that 3 John ends the series of three letters by talking about this topic. Because for John, this is the logical outpouring of what it looks like to really love somebody. Is to let them come into your home and to feed them and to give them a place to stay. Of course, uh, the opposite is true as well. So first, uh, 3 John verse 9. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friends, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is evil is from God, or is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by my name. So that's it. That's all of Third John. It is uh, interesting that we get this character, Diotrephes, who's apparently a bad dude. And uh, there's an interesting trick here that maybe you won't have if you're just reading Third John. Many people, as they're reading it, even in devotionals, Read them all back to back, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. If you do your Bible in a year program, usually they group 2nd and 3rd John and maybe Jude all into one day because they're so short. And it's, uh, the confusion that we can make is that much of 1st John and 2nd John is about doctrinal error. It's about false teaching. Uh, these books, like I said, are written late into the period of the New Testament. 
And so what had happened is the apostles had started to die. The leadership of the church had changed over. And as you have when the founders of a religion or founders of a movement die, the movement can start to become a little corrupted. Right? The first people, there's no one there anymore to go, no, that's not right. And so people start teaching other things and making up other things and start changing what the core teachings of the church are. And so John fights that a lot in 1 John and 2 John, particularly sort of the doctor of the incarnation, that Jesus is in fact God and that Jesus as God did take on flesh. This is something that's very um, controversial, something that there's a lot of fighting about in the books of 1 and 2 John. So when he starts talking about this bad guy, Diotrephes, many of us go, oh, he's going to start talking about false teaching. Because 1st and 2nd John are largely about false teaching. And so here comes 3rd John, and we go, oh, another false teacher. And there is some false teaching, Diotrephes. But if you look carefully, that is not what John's upset about. He says the problem with Diotrephes is that he's not hospitable. He says, this guy loves to be first, loves all the adulation, but then he will not bring people into his home. He will not welcome his brothers and sisters. In fact, he has gone so far that if someone at church is hospitable to a traveling missionary, he kicks them out of the church for being hospitable. No, we're not going to have those people around here. And John goes after this guy with the same verb and, uh, I don't know that expression, the same vigor that he goes after um, false teachers in First and Second John. Here in Third John, he goes after somebody who is inhospitable, someone who refuses to take care of people. He goes, "This guy's a jerk. He's not doing the right thing." And for him, it's just obvious that this person does not have an experience of God. He later makes it very clear. He says, "Choose the good, not the bad. People who do evil things have not seen God." For John, if you had seen and experienced the love of God. And that experience of the love of God did not cause you to be the kind of person who is open with your life and your things and just are hospitable to other people, then you haven't really seen God yet. Because that's not the way it works. That there's this natural outflow of a spiritual experience that comes into treating other people kindly. And so John makes that connection very explicitly. And he kind of waves in Diotrephes' face um, the other individual. I've lost my mind here. Uh, Demetrius, right? He says, now, if you want a good guy to imitate, it's, it's a little subtle here, but he's like, imitate good, not evil. Imitate Demetrius, good, not Diotrephes, bad. And he's, you know, just kind of embarrassing, just straight up shaming him that he is not showing the kind of hospitality um, that the other brothers, uh, such as Gaius and Demetrius, are. And he's kind of encouraging them that those are the people that they should follow. And so John ends with a few personal comments, and that is the totality of the book, where John says, if you're going to love other people, be hospitable. So why do we talk about it? Is it just because nobody ever preaches on 3rd John and Caleb has a hobby horse for that? Yeah, a little bit. But um, also, I want to um, encourage us as we do come into a new year, that we want to always work to be a hospitable people, both as individuals and as a church. And I think there's a couple reasons I want to talk about that. Um, one of the reasons is this is just how you become more like Jesus. Over and over and over again, when we read the Gospels, what is so amazing about Jesus is that he draws people to him. That when they are with Jesus, they feel like they're home. 
That there is no table that Jesus cannot make feel like an open table. This is really interesting when you see um, the sinners and the prostitutes and the tax collectors and all the people that society doesn't like who they'll sneak into a Pharisee's house, right? And they'll do things like wash Jesus' feet or, you know, talk to Jesus. What gives them the gumption to show up at a place where they know they're going to be judged? Because Jesus transforms the room. It might be the most stuck-up, nasty person on earth, but if Jesus is at the table, all of a sudden it feels like, hey, maybe I, I do belong here. Because nobody feels like they don't belong when they're around Jesus. And so we need to think about hospitality just because it's a way to emulate who our Savior is. It's a way to follow our Lord. It's a way to live life like he lived life. And we do that because we believe that he changes the world when he does that. And so we want to um, be people who change the world in the same way. Uh, The second reason I want to talk about it, uh, and this may seem like a minor thing, but we are going to have a couple of groups come through in 2019. We'll have a group from Care Church in Richardson, Texas. It'll be here at spring break. And then we're going to have the group from the White Station Church, who's here every two years. They'll be here in May. Now that I think about it, almost everyone in this room has never met any of these people. But uh, I know Anne's been here for them. Um, But these are two teenage groups, high school groups from churches that help support the feast. And they're good kids, generally speaking. Maybe one or two of them won't be, but that's okay. Uh, But generally speaking, they're good kids. They're going to put in a lot of work. They're going to do work in the neighborhood to help uh, bless uh, the community. Uh, We're going to, if you know some things, I would love for some ideas. Anything that takes some sweat and some effort, but can be handled by a 16-year-old brain, we would love jobs like that, okay? And they've done lots of things. They've done works in the park. They've done work here in our building. They've um, done some things with Winoskatucket River Watershed Council. They've done some things with Bruce up at Blackstone Valley Church of Christ. They've done food pantry work. There's all kinds of stuff they've done. So if you have an idea, let us know. But we're going to have these guys here. And I just want to remind us to be good, hospitable people. These are people who are not only doing God's work, but they do it in order to help us. Okay, the end to all of this is to help our church do projects that would take the people in this room, lots of Saturdays and lots of backbreaking work and lots of aspirin to get done, right? And these kids can help us do it really fast and bless our community through us and kind of encourage and do the work that we're doing alongside with us. So they'll be here uh, this summer and this spring. And when they come through, be nice to them, be hospitable. Uh, last time Tom Brennan bought a bunch of like, you don't have to do this, but Tom bought lots of drinks and got them really cold and put them in a cooler and then met us at a site and made sure they had, you know, they had water with them, but you know, like some Gatorade or juices or whatever. And it was just really kind of him. And it was an example of just the hospitality of Christ out of Tom that he wanted to make these kids feel like they're welcomed and appreciated. Um, A third reason I want to talk about it is When we talk about evangelism, when we talk about teaching new people about Jesus, we talk about reaching out and sharing our faith, a lot of that is just hospitality. A lot of what people want to know about a church is, will I be welcome there? Will I be treated well? Will someone treat me as a friend? Or will you treat me as a stranger? And that's something we want to continue to work at to do the best we can. Uh, we want to be good about it. There's someone in ch- at church that hasn't been there before that the pastor is not the only person that goes over and says hello to them, right? And some of you guys are really good about that. I really appreciate it. I'm not busting on anybody. 
But it's just an important thing that sharing your faith and growing a church is in large part about saying you're welcome at this place. You fit here. You belong here. And so hospitality is a practice of how to make, uh, help people to feel that way. We can't make anyone feel that way. But how we try to encourage them to feel that way. Um, the final reason I want to mention it is uh, if you've read your annual report, you'll know that we've got some interesting opportunities to maybe welcome some new people into our church over the next year. And so, uh, and not in a traditional evangelism way. And so I'm not going to go all those details now. If you haven't read the annual report, you might read the annual report now. But um, it, we're going to have opportunities to maybe encourage some new people to be part of our church and it's going to be a process that we're going to have to work through and work through it well, and hospitality is going to be a big part of that process. I'm going to add one last point that's not in my notes. Don't worry, it will not take too long. Um, ultimately, when we do really good theological work, anything that I encourage us to do is a natural outflowing of what God does for us, right? That we're just emulating the, the work of Jesus in our lives. And so I want to, I, I would be remiss to have a whole sermon about be hospitable, be hospitable, be hospitable, to not acknowledge the reason that we're hospitable is because we have been welcomed. We have been added to a family. Um, just on the most basic level, if I walked in looking like I look with my clothes into a first century Jewish church in Jerusalem, uh, three months after Jesus raised from the dead, I wouldn't fit in very well, okay? It would look a little bit different. The clothes would be different. They would be, I mean, it'd be different language, different ethnicity, just all sorts of different. Caleb would be a very weird, you know, white elephant in the room, so to speak, right? Everybody's like, who is that guy? And yet the story of the church is that I was welcomed in even though I wasn't like them. And you've been welcomed in. The hospitality of God is such that there is place for every person of every background, of every socioeconomic status, every whatever. They are welcome to the table of God because God is always hospitable, no matter how much, how far or how close you are to God. And there's just a beauty in that. And there's a warmth in that. That today, if you're sitting in here and you were in this pew about seven days ago, you are welcome. And if you haven't been in a pew for seven months or seven years or 70 years, you are still welcome at God's table. Because he is a hospitable God who says, you always belong here. And that kind of radical hospitality changes us. And it fills us and it helps us to go about our lives because we know that we are accepted and we are welcome. And it encourages us to be that kinds of people in our lives.